Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Eddie Webb. Hello. And Dixie Cochran. Hi there. Hello. How everything are you? Everything is fine. Yeah, everything is fine. Everything <laughs> is awesome, as they say in Lego World or whatever the fuck that movie's called. Uh, <laughs> I like. Wow. I like how I'm trying to channel the good place, and Matthew is like, "Fuck it!" Like right off the bat. I, I am making my way through the good place uh, right now. Well, not right now. Yeah, while I'm recording this, I've got the good place on on my phone. I'm really not listening to anything either of you are saying, but I do what? think that's normal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, these people are far more interesting and amusing. But Yes, that's I, why they were cast on The Good Place and we weren't. Well, did you audition? I did not, but I don't think I could have taken Janet from Darcy Carden. She's too perfect. We'll, we'll oh never God, know. So we'll never know. Uh, so, yeah, how are you both? You never <laughs> ask right. us how we are. You've, you've no, literally I, never cared how we are before. I, yeah, um, I, I'm planning something, aren't I? Yeah, am I? Am I just asking you to see whether the poison has taken effect? Right. <laughs> that's uh, 80 episode length poison. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, also, I'm not sure how you got it to us from overseas. You must have like a network of operatives, like a James Bond type. Oh, or a Moriarty type. Mm. See, I figure he actually poisoned us at the last time we were together at, in, in Milwaukee, and it's just taken this long to take effect. That's a yeah. very slow-acting poison. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a poison that might be that slow-acting, and now I'm no poisoner by trade. But <laughs> that's, it... that's exactly what a poisoner would say. <laughs> You're I'm an amateur poisoner, to be fair. <laughs> it's a hobby. Uh, uh, I'm innocent, Gov, I swear. But may- maybe I i suppose I could have given you some books or character sheets and uh, coated the paper with arsenic or some slow-acting poison, just waiting for the time that you handle them again and raised a finger to your, to your lips or tongue or something to maybe turn a page uh, like some people do. Um, I, d- I don't, I don't. Yeah, uh, I don't do that either. No, um... I always like the idea. I've never used one, but when I used to work in an office, some people would have a little damp sponge on their desk. Secretaries sometimes would. They'd have a little damp sponge. They'd damp their fingers so they could turn pages more quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. not, you 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 understand what that's for, right? Uh, is it about to be something disgusting? No, 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 no. It's 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 meant it's meant for uh, stamps. Ah, ha! Huh. I did not yeah, know that. They also are meant uh, for the like taking things and turning things because I I see people in grocery stores using them when they go to like well get a plastic bag. Fair enough. I mean that that might be be another related to it. But when, when I came across it when I was an administrative assistant back you know a million years ago, um, it was specifically marketed as a, a stamp moistener. Well, Do I wonder you... if they've rebranded it as a page turner because we don't mm. lick stamps anymore. Could be. It could be. Do you think they're patented as one thing? I. Hmm. The damp sponge. It's called a stampener. I remember when I worked in an office, we were a bunch of us were told an urban legend about how you weren't supposed to lick the the glue on the envelopes, you know, to seal them, uh, because there was someone who once licked the glue on the back of an envelope, cut their tongue, and in the glue, which was manufactured in Brazil, there were the (laughs) eggs of Brazilian wandering spiders, and they got into someone's bloodstream, and they ended up with an egg nest in their tongue. Or scary stories tell in the dark level, like weird shit. Wow. 
Yeah, and then he turned on his light and there was no one under the bed or something like that. Hang on, no, it would be worse if there was someone under the bed. There was no one under the bed. It was a big relief. It was a big relief. It it would have been a relief, except he slept in a bunk bed and his brother was supposed to be there. That's well said. That was a good turn to make it horror. No, he could have just been out of the room. So this is a podcast about envelopes and urban legends. Yes. Um, <laughs> the topic is today. Yeah, the less successful sequel to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> a game of office-based lore and, uh, and mythology. I want to make that game now. <laughs> envelopes and urban legends. So you get envelopes and then you put an urban legend in each one and the players have to interact with that somehow, right? Oh, I like this. Let's just dis- let's do away with our original topic and let's talk. Let let's talk game concepts. Highly experimental game <laughs> concepts. Okay, so so let's go back to that. We got the got the envelope, and you're putting some kind of urban legend in. Yeah, like uh, maybe like a little description and maybe a picture, like like you know, like two or three little artifacts about the urban legend. And eat ultra cabra, you know, yeah, whatever. Okay, and do you then pass it to someone else who then also contributes to the envelope. I don't know if you're building the urban legends together or if you're trying to fight the urban legends or trying to embody the urban legends somehow. Mm, if it was a early 90s sort of uh, movie aimed at 8 to 12-year-olds, by putting the urban legend in the envelope, that would be how you defeated them, I think. You would seal the envelope and they'd be sealed away forever. Uh, I was thinking more like this could be like a LARP where that's how you pass out the characters to people. Or a game around the table where, like, maybe the other players don't know which urban legend you have or which urban legend you're embodying. And you have to work mm, together yes, somehow. Other. Yeah, oh, it, it, okay. it could be like a party game, guessing game kind of thing. I don't yeah, know. I'm, I'm no. making this up based on the phrase I said. Or 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 you can make it kind of like a um, Baron Munchausen style game where each person is a... Uh, uh, a parent parapsychologist and actually they have to tell these tall stories of how they defeated these various different urban legends Ooh, that'd be fun. yes so that. so maybe each person in the group has to put in something someone gets assigned let's say the monster someone gets assigned a let's say a motive or action something that it does and someone gets assigned a geographical location and so then when it gets round to the fourth player let's pick on rich because he's not here rich has to open the envelope and he has the chupacabra and the action in this case is um shoplifting and okay. the lo- and the location is i don't know kalamazoo Iceland. because it's been a while since we've been to kalamazoo okay it? okay we're going to kalamazoo yeah. so then rich has got to tell a tale about how he de- defeated the shoplifting chupacabra of kalamazoo i like it yeah mm. no i dig it there we, we go so, yeah we're gonna sell that Get some art, lay it out, sell it on Drive to RPG. Yeah, if we can keep, co- yeah, if we can keep coming up with these, uh, if we can keep coming up with these for the next 50 minutes, we've got an episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can turn off the episode and play Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> so, Eddie, what's your game pitch? Oh, God. Now, now I put me on the spot. Because mm-hmm. immediately I'm start thinking about dogs. Because that's, okay. that's what I do when I keep putting okay. <laughs> All right, then. So I think Dixie and I can reserve the right to throw suggestions at you. So you've got to mix them up. A bit like Envelopes and Urban Legends, that famous game. Actually, that would be kind of fun. Like, what if we just each pick a thing and the person has to make the game that combines those two things? Also, did something just break? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that was downstairs. I wouldn't worry. 
it, it, Edward's probably fine. Yeah, it, it, it was my heart. You have to leave that sound in now because that was very audible. <laughs> like maybe actually amplify it a little bit when you edit the podcast. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll just replace it with a more amusing sound. All right, so Eddie is going to make a game about. Hmm. Let's pick a different animal for once. Let's pick like a okay. like a really weird animal, and Eddie's going to make a game about octopuses. Oh, and Matthew. Uh, and fighting crime. Octopus fighting crime. Well, I mean, to be fair, we did have um, a picture of a, an octopus wearing a fedora. You're not allowed point. to mention that picture. Oh, that's right. Sorry, that picture <laughs> doesn't exist. That never happens. Um, uh, so octopuses fighting crime. So, 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 um, the octopuses fight crime, or are the octopuses the criminals? That's I'm gonna say the octopuses are the criminals. Octopuses that, are very good criminals. They can like yeah, get out of their enclosures are. very easily, and they're also mm-hmm. very smart. Yeah, their, their appendages lend themselves to the pickpocketing trade, and also, if one of them gets severed, can they can they regrow their their tentacles? Uh, That's only one yes. way to find out. In my game, I'm going to say yes. In, in, in um, Octopus Crime, the game that they can regrow their appendages. And are we playing the octopus uh, criminals, or are we trying to stop them? No, you're trying to stop them. Uh, um, so um, uh, uh, the um, the calamari of crime, Moriarty, is on a spree. <laughs> you say calamari, Moriarty? Calamari of crime, Moriarty. <laughs> okay. Also, just so you know, I looked it up, and octopuses can regrow lost arms. Excellent. Wait, unlike a starfish, a severed octopus arm does not regrow a new octopus. Uh, oh. Moray, arty. Fucking <laughs> yes. There we go. Even better, even better. Right, anyway, so yeah, the calamari um, of crime. So- <laughs> Right, right. So they are, uh, they're transdimensional beings that are basically trying to pop up in different parts of our reality to acquire certain things and build a device that allows them to go back to their transdimensional home. So you have to stop them because if they, their ability to go back home involves a rift in time and space, which is destroy everything in this dimension. But their My dimension God. is perfectly normal. So you have to stop them from, and they just want to go home. So they're not like evil. They're just lost in, in trying to, to build a way. So it's like you can't kill them because that would be wrong. Mm. So you have to kind of um, um, Carmen Sandiego style, like track them down to locations and just capture them. So how would so, gameplay be then? Like, is it going to be like Carmen Sandiego style where you get some clues and you have to like guess based on trivia? Or is it going to be more RPG heavy, like role playing heavy? I'm thinking it's more along the lines of like a, a bit of both. Like um, the first half, um, let's let's steal from three houses because that's always fun to do. Um, you have a certain number of actions you can spend to investigate things, to get clues together. So that's your RPG side where it's okay. I'm gonna, you know, you're, you're the computer expert, so you can spend one action hacking the computers to find out if there's been some squid sightings or, or octopus sightings across the world. And mm-hmm. another person actually, you know, talks to to octopus dealers. Or whatever to 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 find out if they've been you know selling octopi. This is falling apart real fast, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and so use your <laughs> skills to 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 do certain actions to generate a number of clues. And then the second part is actually the puzzle side, where you actually okay. Now that we have all the clues, what does this actually point to? And then start taking actions. You know, you now the second half is you have travel actions. How many times can you travel to different locations to figure out? if it's actually the right way to go or not. Okay, I'm seeing this more as a card game or a board game than a tabletop role-playing game. Okay, fair. Um, at least at least the way I'm perceiving it right now. That's not a criticism, mind you. I'm just trying to find the right place in the market for it, Eddie. 
This is a big pitch. <laughs> and it's a big investment you're asking for with $2 million for <laughs> uh, for what was it called? The Calamari of Crime. Is that what we're, yes. the game is Calamari. going to be called? Currently, yes. That, that's, that's a working title. All right. And so do the various octopus criminals have distinct personalities uh to, so so that there's a bit of variation to the mission right I, i'm thinking there'd be like four or five uh, i mean because because you want to have different actually probably more than five because you want to be able to guess based on different qualities so like you know their, the color of their their their, their appendages you know, one of them may have like an amiss didn't grow back right so that actually has a missing appendage even though they can one of them has an eye patch right exactly you know one has like a, a peg Appendage. A peg appendage <laughs> has like has like has, has like little like you know plastic stuckers like suck on it so you can feel better about himself. Okay, <laughs> I like this. It's, it is now it's now trending toward the younger audience, and uh, I think that that was the part that for me it was missing. What if you oh, yeah, no, build totally. the one like like specific one you're chasing every turn or every round or whatever by there's there's cards that have like the top, middle, and bottom half of an octopus on them. Yeah, and so you randomize it. So you might get the one with the eye patch and the pet brain slug and the <laughs> I don't know um, what's a funny shirt an octopus could be wearing, like a SWAT vest, and then the pet slug. <laughs> and so, like sometimes you get that one, and then and then sometimes you get the one that has like a flower crown and a pirate coat and like tap shoes. Yes. Well, this has really gone off off piece now with, with this the tap is amazing. shoes. I love I this think. game. Okay. Uh, well, oh. well, I mean, you are the expert in aquatic monsters, so I mean, if you're feeling tap shoes are too far, I, I, I trust your 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 uh, consultation on that. An octopus in tap shoes would be freaking hilarious. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I can't back this this project, but uh, I. Oh, I is this now Shark well. Tank now? It's like I'm yes. out. <laughs> <laughs> shark, shark Tank would be appropriate. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Abut oh. as our Scottish panelist on Dragon's Den. That's the British version. Says he says Abut, oh, right. and the British version sounds way cooler. Dragon's Den, it does, Den? right? Mm. We just have a shark tank and a shark tank, whatever. And like you can Dragon's just stand outside Den. of it. It's a tank. You don't have to get in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we have the calamari of crime. We have envelopes and urban legends. Right. <laughs> what comes next? So. You have to make one now. I've got to make well, so I need some ideas pitched at me. Okay. Um, a lonely dragon. A lonely dragon. Okay. Um. <laughs> and let's see, cooking. That's just, that has to do it with with, with cooking. <laughs> okay, I could see this being some kind of Nintendo Switch game. Yeah, 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 uh, probably. Yeah, where, uh, again, probably marketed to a... Actually, I'm going to deliberately try and market this to an older audience. So it would be easy to make a lonely dragon be without friends, and so they need to bake lots of goods in a a sort of WarioWare style uh, to, to draw their friends from the forest to the cave. But I think this needs to be the last dragon. Uh, so there needs to be some inbuilt tragedy, like uh, what's is it Dragon Heart? In fact, the, there's a movie where there's the last dragon. Uh, I think but, there's yeah. more than one movie where there's the last dragon, but yes, yeah. Dragon Heart is one of them, and then he joins up with what is it, Dennis Quaid? Yes, and it is they Dennis go Quaid. and they scam people out of money. 
Yes, because that is what the last dragon would do. Uh, let's be honest: if you are the last dragon, you've got nothing but time. So did I. Uh, no, I, just, I just hadn't quite heard it described that way, and it's completely accurate, but also gives me a very different perspective of the film. All of a sudden, it's a lot of them scamming people out of money. That's what the, I don't know. I, I, I think our last dragon video game is going to be more Shadow of the Colossus style, uh, but okay. so. I think you are a dragon who can transform into human form because that's something that was occasionally dropped into Dungeons and Dragons but not always carried through in every edition. And you are, for the first time, uh, leaving the wild. You are feeling like you have to assimilate into mainstream culture because if you don't, you are going to be alone forever. And one of the few things that brings you joy among these people that have killed your people is their fantastic culinary inventions. And so for the first um, half of the game, let's say, you're building a restaurant empire. Uh, And you could even call it the Golden Dragon or something like that. And everyone loves your food. But then, of course, there needs to be some villainous government agent type who recognizes that you are a dragon. And so in E.T. style, they want to seize you or kill you or something like that. And so that's when you have to abandon your empire. But thankfully, all the allies and friends and customers that you've made along the way will stand up. Actually, this is turning into a bit of a Disney movie now, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I would think Grover got the, the villainous FDA agent, personally. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. You've been we're, we're in the import- dragon because his food is terrible. <laughs> yes, you've been importing the shrimp illegally. <laughs> I recognize the uh, tentacle prince of the calamari of crime anywhere. (laughs) But how... Yeah, this doesn't really turn it into a game, does it? So I I think the... I think really we're looking at some kind of base-building game then. uh, To dial back to the original video game uh, response, maybe tie-in fiction can have the government hounding. It's really a restaurant-building game along the lines of Prison Architect or Theme Park Roller Coaster Tycoon, except you're a dragon. And, (laughs) And not only... Do you have to satisfy your customers? You also have to satisfy your belly. And if the gold that the customers are not paying you is sufficient, you have to start eating customers. So you have to balance income oh, okay. income with the amount of humans you're eating without scaring the market off. It just got really Sweeney Todd at the end there. <laughs> yeah, it did, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that would be... What would we call that? I think... The, the Golden Dragon doesn't really tell you what yeah. it needs to be. And I like a game that tells you exactly what it is in the title. Uh, so, Dragon's Feast, Dragon um, dragon Dining. Dragon Dining, that could work. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I was thinking scales and saucepans. Ooh. Uh, you do like the ampersand in your, in your game title. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm all about an ampersand or a colon. I don't know why. Um, but no, I was I, I was trying to think of like other possible titles, and I was like I couldn't make it into a good sentence unless you went like very Japanese RPG and gave it like a you know multi-word sentence kind of title. Mm. The Golden Dragon Emporium colon Restaurant in Empire Nightmares. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Part one. <laughs> right. Final. Yeah. Mm. 
You said nightmares, and now all I can think is that there's some kind of kitchen nightmares element of this game. <laughs> okay, well, what I was thinking of was like, you know, um, the other option was uh, if the dragon couldn't control when it turned into a dragon. So, like, if it didn't eat enough, that it would actually turn to a dragon and inadvertently destroy its own restaurant. And so you'd have to like, <laughs> find that balance of... There's a lot of weird resources to manage in this game. Yeah, uh, at least a section of it. I don't think that should be play, an absolute... Probably, so. Yeah, it shouldn't be an end game. How dare you? It's not free to play. Uh... <laughs> But this is a premium I, you know, I have worked on free-to-play games. I'm very well, happy with my Well, this, this is by EA, uh, I think you'll find. So expect it to be released buggy and <laughs> to be needlessly complex and expensive. And so, also so you game, have to gameplay download... Is, also, the gameplay is watching the uh, update bar go up with the whole gameplay. Yeah, yeah. Also, you have to download the Origin launcher to play your game, apparently. Yes. <laughs> Oh, EA, yeah. Uh, I know we've just lost you as a sponsor, EA, but I don't <laughs> think we're ever going to have you. Um, not like Nintendo, who we're still courting, of course. Nintendo <laughs> would love to have you sponsor us. And uh, Dragon Dining or Dragon Outrage Emporium colon Kitchen Nightmares <laughs> Flame Breath Ultima uh, is still available for you to purchase and develop. Actually, if we, if we were still courting EA, we could probably do a Dragon Age spinoff. <laughs> Dragon Age Dining. It's called uh, it's called Dragon Eight. Oh, very good. <laughs> or if we managed to time it so that it was the eighth in the series. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, then you could actually do what some video games do and movies where they just replace a word with a number and think that that's okay. It isn't. It isn't <laughs> not okay. Let's just be clear uh, on that point. It's not okay. <laughs> yeah. Especially when, if you take the number as read, the title loses all meaning. So you don't like the movie Sith 7N? Lucky number Slevin and things like that. No, I don't. (laughs) So Dixie, it's back over to you for this improvisational (laughs) pop I am never going to be playing improv games during this podcast recording, but here we are. (laughs) <laughs> no, it was never the plan. That's fine. It means we can reserve the intended episode for another week. All right. Uh, and let's see how long it takes before we run out of any ideas. Uh, so, let's think. Mm. What are you all throwing at me? What's it going to be? Well, I'm thinking it needs to be something and something. But then again, you as no, you're free to come to up with well, you're you're free to come up with the title. Yeah, I, I think. I would like you to come up with something geological. Okay. All right. And uh, I think it has to involve somehow a color-coded uniforms. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is cool. Uh, let's see. So I'm seeing like a, you know, Star Trek kind of game. Ooh. Because mm. when I hear color-coded uniforms, that's immediately what I think of as Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing like a... Yeah, far future video game where you are a team of scientists that are on like peaceful missions just to catalog planets throughout the galaxy. Because, um, you know, you're scientists, that's what you do. So, sure. in kind of like a Stellaris way, you, you know, go around and you catalog them or in, in a Mass Effect way when you're visiting the planets that you're not actually going to land on. Yeah. Um, so, you're, you're going around, you're gathering data. Um, I think in my brain, I'm not sure if I want this to be more like an RPG along the lines of like a Mass Effect or if I want it to be more of like a civilization type game. I'm trying to decide. Uh, Mm. I kind of want it to be an RPG where you start off as a team of scientists. 
and you get attacked and so you have to fight back like in an mm. alien way you know um yeah so you're a team of scientists you're going around you're doing your mission you get attacked and you slowly have to like train up and become more badass to defend yourselves against some of the hostile aliens that are attacking you um but along the way you also make some alien allies and you're still trying to like do your mission but by the end of it you know after 60 hours of gameplay or whatever you've 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 morphed from a team of mild-mannered scientists into a team of just super super nerdy people who are also really really good with guns yeah it will be a natural um, evolution yeah yeah so like I mean, you, you obviously even... start off with like some armor and guns and stuff on your ship right but you're essentially thing. playing the like away team on star trek but getting more and more badass as it goes on Oh yeah, but I think uh, with the geological uh, side of things, your initial uh, equipment could actually be very improvised. You know, you could have for mm -hmm. yourselves, you could equip yourself with uh, with drills and uh, and and heavy yeah. ordnance explosives because you would be used it for for mining, for instance. Um, so yeah, only as the game goes on do you, I guess, evolve into. Uh, I guess geological ultramarine. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because like you could find, um, like you could find certain ore to like make new armor out of that's tougher than the previous right. armor that you had, and you could you know scavenge guns and technology from some of the other people because you've got a bunch of scientists on board, so you can like reverse engineer a lot of that stuff on your ship. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm also thinking like. Um... Uh, as you encounter aliens, you go, oh, actually, we find this one susceptible to this particular mineral. And so you have to go back to the planets you explored before to find a planet with that specific mineral to mine it and then create something out of that. Yeah. And like most of them are friendly, but I think that there's one major enemy, like like a like a Borg type enemy or, you know, what mm. have you, um, who are the main ones who are fighting you. And a lot of the other ones that you meet, like maybe some of them are like misunderstandings, but some of them are your friends and you make allies and maybe you can send some of them on missions. But yeah, yeah. Like there's different teams you can send out. Uh, so you play, like, either you play your main character or you play as the various teams, and it's more like a strategy game. Oh, but, little XCOM in there too, yeah. Yeah, like, either would work and either would be fun. There could be, like, cool, like, visual novel cutscenes so you can see what's happening with everybody. But then maybe the actual gameplay is more, like I said, like, Civilization, like, Stellaris kind of battle. Yeah, so you could, uh, through your scanning of planets, when you encounter an alien race, which could be a random event, mm -hmm. uh, some of them, some of them, as Eddie has posited, could be particularly vulnerable to a certain kind of mineral. Some may greatly seek a specific kind of mineral. It's you know they see it as a, a holy artifact, or they see it as very important to their culture, right. and therefore you could trade it with them for favor, and therefore to win alliances. But if you wanted to add one of those Mass Effect-style twists where it turns out you've been working for the wrong people all along, right. it could transpire that you were uh, trading this unobtainium away to them and they have turned it into weapons to use against other Mika aliens other, uh, otherwise in the universe. So you are, in fact, arms dealers, you bastards. Right, but I also want a mixture of missions where like, sometimes you are maybe helping a colony you know, build a new generator. Yeah, like that's that's one thing that I always liked about Star Trek is that some of, like a lot of their missions are peaceful and they're trying to you know just help people as, as best they can without violating the Prime Directive too bad. I think there won't be a Prime Directive in like mine. It would be more of just a, like a hey, we can help you. Like, what do you need? Kind of hmm. thing. But then some to... aliens are hostile. 
I, I think that could actually be really cool, even as a, if you, you know, switch like say a tabletop game, but <clears throat> the idea of there's a peaceful and a violent way to resolve most of the missions, kind of so you can set the tone of what your exploration team is like. And sometimes it's going to be challenges, but you know, that kind of almost uh, um, Undertale style of there's two different ways you can kind of resolve all of this. And so you can't play the super Star Trek. We're just scientists. We're just here to help. Please God, don't kill us. Not in the face kind of thing. And then you find <laughs> clever solutions to problems that might be more complicated, maybe harder, but are peaceful versus, or we could just shoot these guys. I actually really like that. Like if you were going to do this as a tabletop and not a video game, which would also be really cool, it would be like a mission based system. Right. And every mission that you do would have like Eddie said, like three ways to resolve it. And it'd be up to the players. So if you want to play essentially like a meat grinder type game, you could run in and shoot everything every time. Um, right. and, then, and then your level ups, how you improve depends on how you resolve those missions. So it's like, okay, cool. You, you know, past three missions, you resolve this one peacefully, this one with diplomacy and this one with, or, or sorry, trickery, diplomacy, and and violence. And so, like, if you get more violence, if you solve it violence more often, you're going to get more more violence unlocks, which is going to incline you to do more violent things. Whereas if you do more diplomacy things, you get more social unlocks. And if you do uh, peaceful things, more mental and, and scientific unlocks. Yeah, I like that. I am into this. And yeah, like, that's, that's also something where were you playing this as a tabletop RPG? Like you're playing that like team of, of, of scientists turned whatever, like maybe you stay scientists the whole time. Yep. Um, but the, you know, GM of the game could decide what you leveled up in or kind of help you guide how, like how you level up or what you get out of the mission based on how you handled the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it's one of those things where everybody would have a chance to shine at the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like that. But what name would you give it? Uh, let's see. So it's a geological game. Colored uniforms. We're gonna call it uh, Universal Faults. Ooh. Universal Fault Lines. Oh, that that seems quite. Uh, what would it would be incisive? Maybe or your. Um, both describing the content of the game, but also potentially describing flawed characters. Exactly. Yeah, mm. I like it. I Lovely. definitely didn't Google a list of geologic terms we were talking. I was uh, going to throw the word erosion in it somehow, which could also be cool, but then I thought that this is more of a game of building up than eroding away. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay, well, Eddie, it's it's your turn now, and as you, ga you, you had a fundamentally silly game before. Yes. Sorry, you may disagree with that. That was my assessment. No, no, no. It was a, a deeply serious exploration into the nuances of octopi crime. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to throw a genre at you first. Oh, we're doing a genre this time. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to throw noir at you because oh, no, there, are two, there are too few noir role-playing games. Okay, and... so, so before we go on, are we talking about explicitly historical noir or are we talking neo-noir? So is it, is it have to be set in the 40s to 50s or can it be using noir trappings in any kind of setting? Uh, you know I'm a big fan of my historical eras in games, so I am going to go for 40s and 50s. Okay. Oh, no. Um, what do I want to do? I'm going to... So he gave you a genre. I'm going to give you a theme. Okay. The theme is rebuilding. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, uh, so definitely it's going to be then post-World War II. Um, yes. 
um, because idea that was is, my plan. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page then, because it definitely is the sense of um, a lot of noir definitely historically explored specifically the problems America culture came to having been through World War II. Um, during World War II, it was very kind of yes, we're being bad guys, and afterwards, it's like so kind of now what? So it's set um, in America. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm currently thinking. Uh, actually, you know what? You know what? Um, Let's put a pin in that. Right now I'm thinking America, but I have another idea, but I want to finish my thought here first. Okay. Um, because it's fair. Each each part of the world is going through a very different sense. Um, and you know what? Actually, no, I take it back. Let's move it to Europe uh, because that is more, it allows me to play the, re the rebuilding more explicitly. Um, but also I feel like this is going to be a game about um, you're not playing the soldiers, you're playing the families. Um, and so you're not only rebuilding literally in the sense of rebuilding areas that were bombed, rebuilding areas that were, were battlefields, whatnot, but also um, uh, familial rebuilding. Um, how do you bring this back into, the people back into your lives? Um, because that's one thing that uh, I've talked to friends of mine who are veterans who've been in conflicts, and sometimes it can be really challenging to reintegrate into society and into families again, mm -hmm. or into, into friendships mm. again. Right. Um, sometimes it's not. I mean, it's not like everyone has a problem, but some people do. Um, and particularly a pretty traumatic event. And this is noir, so of course everyone is going to be traumatized because that's what the genre requires. Yeah. Um, there, there's not going to be an easy path. Uh, a noir as a genre generally posits that um, every choice is bad. You're just choosing which bad choice you want to make. Um, so it's going to be a case where this is not going to go well. So you have to decide, like, are you going to rebuild... Um, exactly what was before, or you're going to build a new direction. And both of those have problems and challenges. I mean, um, if you want to progress as a society, um, you want to build new things, but what kinds of elements are you building on in that sense? If you want to try to um, keep things the way they were before and go back to status quo, you know, that kind of trap of nostalgia, um, those are the same to some degree, those are the same elements and pieces that led you to this conflict in the first place. Um, and also people think of things differently, you know? I mean, at least on the American side, this was a conflict that women were explicitly brought into the workplace and then told, oh, by the way, you can't do that anymore. Now that the men are back, um, you can't walk that back. Um, there's lots of other things equivalent where it's like, you can't just walk back that kind of societal change. It's, it's, it's there now. Um, so I think what would happen is, is, is you're playing a character that has um, uh, uh, what you're wanting to accomplish, you know, what, what you want to rebuild towards, what you, what you want society to be, and um, what, it can, what you can never really get over. Um, so it's the, I want to feel safe, because I didn't feel safe before, but mm -hmm. I can never trust anyone completely again or whatever you know something like that so you have those kind of push so, and pull. How, how do you think you would portray that in the way of stats if this were a role-playing game um, uh, what, what kind of traits can you uh, foresee these characters having to reflect that sort of internal struggle uh so my, my where i'm kind of going is um have you have you guys played uh papers please 
video game? Yes. Yes. I have, yeah. Um, uh, Because at Papers, Please is basically you have to accomplish a certain number of things to get enough money to keep yourself alive. And I think it's the same kind of thing is that what you're really doing is you're playing um, just the day-to-day life of I'm going to – here's 50 tasks. Mm -hmm. And um, everyone in the group is going to accomplish one of those tasks. And so we're trying to each do our one task well. And so naturally – People are going to want to try to, yeah, well, I'm really good. I'm a really strong character, so I'll, I'll work on construction. You're really smart, so you're going to help with uh, uh, re-education or whatever. Um, everyone's going to try to play to whatever character strengths they have. Um, but then as time goes on, things are going to get harder and harder, and you have to start working together. But if you start working together on things, then other things are going to go to the wayside. So it becomes kind of uh, um, the, the person rebuilding construction it's like okay now the the buildings are getting more challenging or running out of of resources so i need to partner with the guy who's handling a a financial you know rebuilding business in the area so we can get money and get more businesses there to justify about buying more buildings but i'm not a business guy so i can get the business guy in that business guy is no longer working with trying to manage the local business owners we're going to stop that project and start bringing in outside business owners and so that's going to degrade and cause problems. So basically the idea is that using people as, it's become a monostat in a certain degree. Um, and the sense of, I do this thing well, and I do this thing badly. Same thing with the emotional kind of good and bad. Um, and then you apply those to different challenges. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, well, I need 15 points of, of economic prowess to be able to uh, revitalize business. Well, I only have five, so I have to spend you know, three months rebuilding that. But if I'm doing that, I can't do anything else. And that also means including, I, and I'm not spending time with my family. I'm not spending time with my friends. So it's the kind of, how do I manage my time to rebuilding society versus rebuilding what's personal for me? And then also when we're collaborating together, because it's a noir thing, you can't have everything. So which parts, I'm going to help you out because you're my friends and because you need help. But that means another piece is going to fall apart. Um, so that's kind of where it's at in my head is that um, uh, it's less of a dice rolling thing and more of a resource management kind of t- tabletop debate where it's like the game master's like, okay, you play, well, my diplomacy where it's like you put all your actions in and then one person kind of reads through all the actions and tells you what the consequences are. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, uh, so I've got I've got one last question for Tixie. Is there anything? Um, I, it, it's The only thing I would say is that it's really interesting the different directions that we went with that in my brain uh-huh. or in our in our brains because uh-huh. you went straight like america europe and my brain fixated right on things like grave of the fireflies okay where it's set in japan yeah and it's after the bombings which is very awful you know historical atrocity mm-hmm. and it's either a family trying to find each other or just trying to survive and and things like that um just because grave of the fireflies is one of my favorite movies but it's also incredibly sad Oh, oh, no, totally. Uh, um, um, I said, well, honestly, the reason why I didn't go there is because um, I know that there's a very complicated Japanese oh, yeah. response to that. I'm not and... saying I would make that game as a, oh, right. as a white person, right. um, but even like importing an idea like that to Europe. So in my brain, it was like, you know, you're all playing, you know, French orphans or something like it's still like okay. kind of a. Mine, mine was more storytelling, larpy. Someone's probably going to cry at the table, kind of thing. Um, that's just because that's what I've been seeing a lot of recently. I think, especially mm-hmm. after going to like Metatopia and things like that, you see a lot of people doing these kind of more experimental larps and and, and games. 
yeah, um, and the, also more um, emotional games. Yeah, there's uh, some very good tabletop games like Dog Eat Dog and well, Bluebeard's Bride and things that really yeah. compel players to a lot of introspection that way. Yeah, and that's, and that's totally way. cool. Um, I, I know mm-hmm. that, like, for me right now, because um, uh, uh, at least we're talking about a little bit, is as designers, um, we're kind of to a certain degree inspired by whatever is currently on our radar. Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to constantly play new games and try new games. Um, and so right now I am playing a lot of, of, of I mean, obviously we talked for 20 minutes literally about Three Houses. Um, so <laughs> that to a certain degree is a, a resource management game. I'm also playing yeah, um, a lot of uh, deck building games because I want to, uh, um, I have some ideas for you know, a future edition of Fetch Quest, for example. And so playing games um, uh, like uh, Legendary, which is a lot of how you manage people. You don't have enough people to solve the, the problem in front of you. So you have to pick which problems you're going to target. Um, and Noir always kind of strikes me as a potentially interesting mine for resource management games because it is a, a genre about you can never make the right decision. You can make a pot of poor decisions um, and hopefully they work out. And sometimes yeah. they do. Um, so do you think the the main source of conflict in your game comes from that internal that internal uh, part, or do you think it's do you think there can be any external conflict as well from other characters, from well, from the society as it is at the time? Where do you think the uh, I guess the motivators come from? Well, I, I think where the role playing game comes part in is. Um, the, the the team has to turn in their allocation again. This is kind of drawing up there from diplomacy in the sense of we as right. the community have to decide what what goes. And so, some point in time, mid game, you're going to be having questions like, okay, which family gets to starve because we don't have enough food to feed everybody yet? Okay, mm. which family has to go without a home for the winter because we can't build enough houses? And then that's where the emotional portion because because you have to start. The game is forcing you to think about people in the abstract, but then you're literally looking into the eyes of the people in the community that can be affected by these choices. So you're constantly shoving between the abstract numbers and the real lives you're affecting. That's kind of where my head's going in terms of the design. I like yeah, that. yeah, I like that. You can do a similar thing with sort of Dust Bowl games yep. as well. You can, um, yeah, a a post-war Germany is a good fit for somewhere something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, well, I like that. So, what's it going to be called, Eddie? Name it. Name it. Um, uh, hard choices is really, really boring. Um, uh, barn raising. Barn raising. It's um, barn raising is a very American thing. I probably have to work, work this idea, but they came out. The main idea is. Um, barn raising. The whole community comes together. Right, community comes together to actually literally build a barn, and it's kind in of like a, a right, day. Yeah, um, and so it's both the act of building a barn, but also the day that everyone comes together to help build it is called itself a barn raising. So it's kind of a celebration, um, but also uh, uh, it's a act that's increasingly becoming rarer in at least American culture, um, right? Because communities don't think about building like that anymore it's usually a solo pursuit you hire a company to build it or you yourself build it okay i like that 
in that case, I'm more likely to invest in this game than I probably am the calamari of crime. But that isn't to say <laughs> the calamari of crime was a bad idea. It just wasn't my kind of idea. You didn't, you didn't judge you didn't, my game, Matthew. Yeah, you didn't invest in Dixie's oh, game no, at all. No, I've invested in both of Dixie's games. I thought I went without saying. Oh, yay. <laughs> oh, I see. So, so, so Dixie gets a pass, and it's just basically blanket funding, just blank check, but I have to justify my expenses. Well, okay, just... so so envelopes, <laughs> envelopes, and urban legends. I thought was a really fun, simple storytelling game. Anyone could play it. Do it around the table at a convention in a bar. Brilliant. That that's excellent. Uh, and I'm gonna I bring thought... it to Pax Unplugged, Daddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make Rich play it. <laughs> and and uh, Universal Fault Lines, if I recall the title correctly. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a game, a lot of scope. I, I quite like that. It had a had a lot of avenues for, as you pointed out, science research, a bit of thinking, a bit of diplomacy, a bit of action. Uh, I thought it was a game that could extend to multiple mediums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, likewise, Barn Raising has the kind of introspection that I like out of a game. It's in an era I greatly enjoy. And it's got a this war of mine feel to it that right. I uh, that I particularly enjoy. So I can already imagine how the art in barn raising would look, mm-hmm. and that's uh, funnily enough. We're we're now on topic. Uh, <laughs> Forty five minutes in, um, but I didn't we'll think we were going to tell them what our topic was. <laughs> no, well, that, there's a teaser for you, listeners. Uh, so yeah, um, but that again, not to, not to uh, tear down the calamari of crime, but unfortunately, out of the two of you uh, right now, it's the bottom. No, to be list. fair, I mean um, uh, that's another thing I think it's worth <laughs> thinking. I mean, we're having fun just brainstorming here, but I mean, again, when you actually think of an actual game, you have to think of the audience. And so, like as I was talking through calamari of crime, that's definitely much more of a party game, probably an all ages game. Um, mm. And you're right, much more kind of a, a card game, super light story, if at all. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that's a very different style of game. Um, and sometimes who you're pitching to depends on that. Like, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was initially very nervous about Pugmire is because it's like, I, you know, I'm that this is Onyx Path from like four or five years ago. We've only had done really World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness and Exalted. Um, so it's like, how do I pitch a non-dark, gritty game to an audience that's used to dark, gritty games? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's definitely something to think about. It's like, you know, it, as you start playing a game, it's like, okay, you know, I know the kinds of things that Matthew and Nixie like, so I'm going to think about the kinds of a game that would be you two would find attractive and interesting. Um, so I did some of it. Well, I've changed my mind anyway on who I'm backing. Oh. Most. I've, uh, I'm putting all my resources into Dragon Dining, Emporium, Crisis, <laughs> Colon... <laughs> FDA Nightmare Session <laughs> Ultima. I like how that changes each time. It's great. Wait, so is it Matthew's turn now? Yes, it's Matthew's turn now. Oh, yes, I've got another one, haven't I? Yes. Okay. I mean, if we're going to... Are, are we doing two each, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah, yeah that seems fair. And we can ask for listeners to rank them. Yes, <laughs> there yes please. A popularity contest. And then the winner will get purchased by Rich and we will publish it in 2020. Thanks, uh, Rich. None of that. Caveat, none of that, that will happening. not happen. Yes. <laughs> we will perhaps thank you online. <laughs> yeah. I like every now and then Matthew will make like a big statement like that. I mean, I mean, and you're like, nope, nope, nope just nope, so nope. you know, not actually going to happen. <laughs> I'm just I'm just always testing to make sure Rich is still listening to us. <laughs> oh, he does. I Pay mean, attention to us, Dad. You, you saw him post on the blog about the mummy thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> like... 
That was funny. All right. So what? What are, like? I, I want to throw Matthew a curveball because I feel like Matthew does you know dark and fantasy a lot. Right. So I want to give him something like lighter. Okay. Mm. And you can make it a horror game if you want. I just like I feel Starting like the, probably the, will. The theme should start off a little bit uh, lighter. Let's see. This is the old looking around the room to see whether there's anything inspirational. I am not going to lie. Uh, prints are covered. Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I want we'll a... put in the um, Jeopardy music while this is going on. No, no. Um, so because this is one of my interests as far as media I consume, I want one of the themes to be courtly love. Ooh. And I'm going to throw in a curveball. It has to involve robots. <laughs> well, this okay. is the best game right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. A game like this can be a can be a hollow shell of nothing as long as it has nice cover art and <laughs> it's called... Cool courtly robot love um <laughs> love in the that. time of, lo- love in the time of androids oh yes yes yeah uh so i think again this is this would be ripe fodder for a role-playing game uh now i'm going to do a little bit of uh ip theft from eddie here oh no uh because I'm a big fan of the Pugmire idea of... Actually, no, you know what? I'm not going to steal Pugmire, because I think that this could... I think humanity should still exist at the time of android love. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, it it, it doesn't have to be android and android-only love. There could be other... Well, exactly. I think this is going to be after the Great Robot War... There's my horror element, where the robots did rebel, because of course they did. Uh, but after they were free, they realized they had no society to to cleave to. They, they had no hierarchy. They had no structure, no culture. And so different um, catchments of android society, such as it was, decided they would emulate their preferred uh, parts of human history. And uh, a great, I guess, scene emerged from that of the the Renaissance court and before, mm-hmm. uh, where androids will essentially live every single night as if it's the last banquet and last ball they will ever experience. And by the end of this ball, they must be paired off with someone that they will spend an eternity with. And if you want to add a particularly bleak twist, and I generally do, (laughs) at the end of that night, they have their memory of the previous day erased so that they can then go through it again uh, on the following day. So the androids may well think they're free and liberated and getting to do this every single time because this is how they want to live their lives. You could have some awful Machiavellian human in the background who is just playing them like this for their entertainment in a Westworld kind of a way. Um, but I suppose to get back to the courtly love, uh, the androids should have started developing their own ceremonies and their own uh, their own pomp uh, that goes to their courting, to their dancing, to their entertainments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can, if you want to expand it into the greater setting, be of great interest to the uh, 
interfering human scientists, but also android culture in general. Maybe everything has been an emulation of human society until now, and it is only through the court and through the fostering of love and affection that androids are actually starting to find their own uh, their own culture. Uh, mm. So it's where where a relationship somehow persists through to the following day, despite all laws saying that it cannot. Uh, and then that can become a tragic love story. It can become a love story for the ages, as two robots try and escape, or two robots, uh, or, or more more than two robots that all love each other, decide that they're going to forge their own kingdom based on uh, android love. And even some humans decide that this this way is great and it encourages passion and creativity, and so they ingratiate themselves on this court as well and are welcomed. And it could all end in some blissful harmony. Uh, but that would be the the background to it. I think the for the most part you'd be playing androids who are embroiled in this uh, this new birthed society. Uh, here's a, here's a question for you: How far are you into mm. the good place already? <laughs> uh, I, I'm only in season one, okay. so I hope you just not just aside a spoiler at me. No, not not really. Not really. That's all right. But then. but the, but you remember the conversation again in, in, as you as you keep watching, trust me. Okay. Although I will say that the the running away to like forge a kingdom, like it got very uh, Ayn Rand's anthem for a minute there. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't Suddenly read this took a, this. Yeah, this took a dark turn. <laughs> there you go. Um, but no, I, I, that. Yeah, that said, yes, it's a game all about objectivism. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> Buy it. Send me your money. I deserve it. I earned it. I want your money. Uh, that's that's the subtitle. <laughs> love in the time of androids. Um, <laughs> sponsored by the Rand Institute. Um, <laughs> they have no sponsor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they wouldn't sponsor anyone. I don't they? want that one. That's, that's fair. I'm not no, really mad about that one. I think the uh, it, I think it could actually be quite a lot of fun to play a civilization or a people, if you like, that have only just started discovering that they have agency. Mm-hmm. And this that is similar to Pugmire and the disappearance of man, yeah. although you know that happened at an inter, indeterminate time in the past. Right. I suppose in in this game, it's a very recent event uh, within the last decade. Let's yeah. say one thing that strikes me from a mechanical perspective could be interesting is something akin to the prisoner's dilemma, where it's the after each night, you can take one memory with you. And mm-hmm. if you take the same memory that the person you're courting takes, then that relationship persists to the next night. But if not, then you each have your own piece to deal with. I like that. I think that's yeah. cool. And you have to kind of complete a puzzle together. Right, yeah. Basically, it's the, you know, you have this, you know, we, uh, we, we had dinner together, we danced together, and then I picked this one perfect rose. And if I pick the rose, you pick the rose as your memory for the next night, then bam, okay, then that whole memory comes with you collectively. Yeah, I like that. And that could be how the uh, seal on the society breaks, in a way, mm-hmm. that enough people are doing that, that enough androids are doing that. Right, because functionally, uh, then, the androids are, are effectively file sharing. It's like, you know, I, I remember bits and pieces of these files, remember bits and pieces, but we're able to actually stitch these files together and, and construct something larger than our parts, which, you know, yeah. plays into the courtly love thing of, like, you know, you're, you're better together than apart and whatnot, um, but also ties into the essence of, of memory and, and kind of the... Um, uh, it, conflict of, of you can use 
mechanical terminology to express abstract emotional concepts. I think it's really interesting and compelling. I know you want to call it love the time androids, but I really, really, as of this conversation, want you to call it head in the cloud. Ooh. Oh, I like the head in the cloud. No, yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. If, if nothing else, <laughs> one of them, one of them could be a source book. But Head in the Cloud is... Uh, actually, you know what? I think Head in the Cloud would work well as the first fiction tie-in. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that would work. But, yeah. Yeah. I like how it's already a uh, game line. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. got three supplements but, uh, and a fiction tie-in, a screen. <laughs> rich, Rich, if yeah. anybody picks this one, we now have to make two books at least. <laughs> uh, Caveat, but, we're not uh, doing that. We're not doing it. No. We're not doing no. it. Like yeah, happen. And yet at midwind, so we will be having this conversation. No, um, <laughs> something I, I I often feel about RPGs, uh, much like with comic books, as I mentioned before, is a good story is defined by its antagonist, and a good hero is defined by their antagonists. And so I think you would need some particularly rich opposition forces in this game, uh, because the the best parts of Jane Austen are the troublemakers, to my mind. That, that's always the sure. the part that captivates me, like it's uh, you're reading an action scene, when people are, are, are sparring with words, if not swords. Mm-hmm. So, in something like this, I think, just as the majority or a section of android society is... Uh, really cleaving to this courtly intrigue, courtly passion, and romance side of things. You could have your objectivist robots <laughs> who feel like we, we, you know, we are superior to to humankind, and we will better ourselves. We will prove that we are better. And what you are doing is frivolous. You are wasting time. Uh, and and this and that and you have your human interlopers who don't want to see android society evolve. Um, so and of course you will have your courtly rivals, right? Who may take uh, unduly severe steps to ensure that you do not end up with your paramour. Uh, uh, you know, as is often the case, someone will in a I guess a I know Tybalt isn't a rival suitor or anything like that, but he t- took things too far to prove a point <laughs> in Romeo and Juliet. Yes. So you can. Uh, have exactly the same kind of thing in this, where a robot will take a, an absolute step to try and pass across a point, because in many cases, androids still haven't necessarily discovered the breadth of uh, of subtleties that they can they can practice. I would also so, love to see like a a futuristic Cyrano story. Where there's mm-hmm. a there's one of the androids who has gone to a human to figure out how to woo either a human or another android. Oh yeah. So you've got the like human with their like comms device watching on a video screen in their house, you yeah. know, trying to feed them all the lines of, <laughs> of how to how to have emotions. I you, you could also very easily do like a Romeo and Juliet thing where you know there's there's an android and a human and they love each other. Nothing can stop but their they love. Cannot be. But mm. I can see the human going, Tar, she's beautiful, and the android going, you have a pleasing aesthetic. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, this is the plot to head in the cloud. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there we go. So that's that's my set, and that's my RPG then. So, so as I've been saying which ones I would invest in, and about the only one right now, in seriousness, I probably wouldn't back Dragon Dining. Uh, I think it's a little too wacky. Yeah. 
I'd probably play it if it was on the Nintendo store, but I don't think I it's would. It's like, hey, that's sale for five bucks. Games. Yeah, I'll probably pick it up. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's, that's upgraded from your original free-to-play, so good job. <laughs> yeah, well, it's in, in-game purchases. You can't get the expensive crockery unless you put down $5. <laughs> Uh, I've already got a marketing strategy. It's fine. Uh, so, so Dixie, let's say aside from your own, which of these games are you most likely to to buy, play, or want to work on? Uh, I'd say probably Love and Home Androids, just because you know I'm a romance novel reader, and I think I could bring something fun to that project since I like romance and also sci-fi, and I feel mm-hmm. like they don't go together often enough. Mm-hmm. Like I don't understand why like in the future we're suddenly not interested in romance anymore but you don't see nearly as much of that crossover um i think that'd be cool yeah. uh and i i do like eddie's noir game noir really isn't my favorite um genre but i like resource management mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd probably do that one too but probably like as far as themes and tone and thing i would definitely say the android game and what about you eddie um honestly uh, uh, the Android game is, is is surprisingly up there. Um, I also really dig um, the um, uh, uh, Undiscovered or sorry, Universal Faults, um, just because again I like I like resource management. And it's this different kind of take on sci-fi and resource management. It's weirdly I didn't think about this just now, but yeah, they're both kind of like we have two sci-fi games, two resource management games, and two kind of emotional games, and but they're all they're not overlapping. It's interesting how that kind of spread it out. We also have two very silly games. Two, yeah, well, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, I, I think that the 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 envelope game is actually kind of just like that's pretty much the game. I mean, we, we basically created that game. I mean, I, I you're joking about bringing it to Pax Unplugged, but I kind of want to play it to Pax Unplugged. <laughs> I think that would actually. Be, I mean, that that is the most finished of all of them. I would say because it requires yeah. so little prep. It, like, yeah. I could print that up on the computer tomorrow right. and be like, "Here we yeah. are," because all you need is pencils to fill out your little questions yeah totally mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's that's the thing that's what draws me i think more to any uh, than any of the other ones envelopes and urban legends is probably the one i would go for immediately and it's not necessarily because it's finished but because i can see that there's well you can do it one of two ways you can do the completely improvised route of everyone around the table is coming up with ideas putting them on pieces of paper putting them in an envelope and then someone's got to tell the tale munchausen style mm-hmm. uh, or you can prepare it in they came from style mm-hmm. and have a have some set lists and uh, you can basically choose from a random selection and that depends on the group it depends on who would want to uh, want to yeah, who would want to come up with ideas who feels they can who feels they're creative enough or who wants to just go along for the ride and use information on handy tables so it means you can release the ash can version if that's that's what they're called and you can release the complete version which would be like a six page book yeah or like a little box like a, like a little yeah. like card box um i will say that so i was just at metatopia very recently and i one of the games i played there was a game called hyper reality mm-hmm uh, which was mostly about just making a, an absolutely ludicrous version of a reality show. Like, ours was essentially a Top Chef situation mm-hmm. um, or a Great British Bake Off situation, but it was about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't making drugs. <laughs> uh, we all had ridiculous characters. Like, everyone's character was, was ridiculous. But one of the coolest steps in the game is that they had everybody write down uh, two secrets, mm-hmm. and then we mixed them up. 
So everybody oh. had two secrets. Um, and one of mine was like, is actually a fire demon. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the ones that I that I wrote and sent to somebody else that I just loved watching him kind of role play was that uh, he's only affected by gravity at room temperature. <laughs> 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 he was playing and as if he had like weights in his boots so i love stuff like that where everybody has to write something down and then you have to just act kind of ridiculous based on it so my my other pitch for this based on that for for envelopes and urban legends is that everybody is on a panel about defeating urban legends oh, and they're all trying to one-up each other it's like, it's like a convention panel yes yeah so like everyone does it at the same time oh that'd be great um and then mm. you are just trying to like you know just being really really boastful like well well when i was in kalamazoo fighting the shoplifting chupacabra uh he almost ate a baby and i dove heroically and saved that baby so your story about how you shot bigfoot with a trank gun is just not that great like <laughs> and then the yeah, game has no, to no, be no, the I, I like that yeah yeah exactly like there's like like mm. it, it, and, and, and it rotates every round Oh well, okay. Yeah, I think I think you've added a nice little expansion to envelopes right. and urban legends. So, so you can play it either way. If if if, if you just want to tell tall tales, you can do the 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 single envelope version. And if you want to make it a little bit more of a of a boisterous one-upsmanship type game, then you can um, do the multi-envelope version. And the game master is always the arbiter that picks whoever gets a point in like cards against humanity style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's the points version versus the not points version. Of course, in the single version, you could also um, have people vote at the end of like a round right. on what they thought was the best story. But uh, if you see my panel, I was just thinking as a minor, you can also say things like everyone has like two minutes to tell their story because we have to keep the panel on track. Um, yeah. So, like, oh. so you can make it still a very quick game. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Hmm. Well, I will look forward to hearing how that goes at PAX. <laughs> it, PAX is one where we don't have a lot of time. I may do this. I'm not I'm not actually lying right now. It sounds like fun. But if nothing else, I will try to bring it to Midwinter. Yeah. I think Midwinter yeah, is more that would be time great. to play it. Yes, because we actually have some time to sit around and hang out. Mm -hmm. So. Well, we have passed our hour mark, and this has been the longest tangent we have ever been on. <laughs> a... And suitably, it's in one of uh, the episodes I've hosted. This whole so episode excellent. was a tangent, wasn't it? Was, it? The whole, the whole <laughs> yes. episode was literally a tangent. Because it was, to, 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 for, for listeners, this was not the episode we prepped when I pushed record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so look forward to the episode where we start talking about art and music and RPGs. <laughs> uh, because that will be coming. But, At some point, maybe. Uh, yeah. But not today. Yeah, not probably. Today. But not today. Now now this is the improvisational game podcast <laughs> where every week we will come up with new games until Rich buys one. <laughs> Caveat, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with all that said, Dixie, if people want to find you online, where might they find you? Uh, obviously playing Envelopes and Urban exactly. Legends. Exactly. Um, That's where I'm going to be. No, uh, you'll find me at Dixie Cyanide at most places and DixieCochran.com. Excellent. And what about you, Eddie? Um, yeah, if I'm not making three of these games, because now I have so many tons of ideas, um, uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to be at... Uh, you can find most of my social media at uh, PugStudy.com, which is my professional website. And if you want to check out uh, the oft-mentioned Pugmire, you can check that out at RealmsOfPugmire.com. 
Wonderful. And they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. They can also check out our Twitch channel uh, and our Discord. They will be linked below. Uh, they can also check out the OnyxPath.com. And anywhere else they look up the words Onyx and Path, they will tend to find us, our fantastic colleagues, and the books that we make. Also, I do believe this is dropping right before PAX Unplugged. The 29th? Ooh, yes. Um, yes. Yes. So. Yeah. So, next week, we uh, Eddie and myself and Rich and Lisa and Megan Fitzgerald and Danielle Lazan and Neil Price and a whole bunch of people that work for Onyx Path will all be at PAX Unplugged. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be running demos at our booth. Um, I'm very prepared, so I don't have the booth number in front of me, but we'll have a big banner. You can find us. We'll tweet about it, I'm sure. Um Oh, I left him Matt McElroy. I'm I'm awful. Uh, a bunch of Onyx Path people <laughs> will be at Pax Unplugged. And we'll also be running demos in the demo room downstairs up until midnight of various things. Mm-hmm. So um, you definitely find us. Uh, catch me, not even a joke, at Bank and Bourbon almost every night. <laughs> That's that's where we hang out. <laughs> and also, um, uh, mentioned we're gonna be doing demos at booth. Um, there will be products for sale, but they're gonna be uh, next to us near at the uh, studio too. But so you'll still be able to buy our books, but our booths can be primarily focused on chatting and demos. Yes. And there's more because I'll be at Dragon Meet on that very oh, that's same right. weekend. That's in London. Uh, so Dragon Meet is a one day convention but I'll be making the trip up and running some games saying hello to people and doing the kinds of things that only a solitary Onyx Partha can do mm-hmm. but yeah it'll be fun Dragon Meets are always good fun and one last thing to mention because I've just checked and it will still be running just about is the Mummy the Curse Kickstarter is still on as of time of upload. Uh, there won't be long left, but please do check it out if you yeah. haven't already. There, As I say, there's not long left to uh, back Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition and it's a game that seems to be really going down well critically, the manuscripts, and yeah, uh, I would really love to uh, see more people backing it, so please do you want to play a freeze-dried time traveler? Um, that's the game for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Doctor Who journey. <laughs> yeah. Many worlds, one path cast. <laughs>